Coming to you live, this is your MTG Action Forward News Team. Hello, this is MTG Action 4 News. Thanks for taking the time to get the latest updates from your CMD Tower News Team. I'm Mr. Com number five. And I'm Murphus. Well, let's head over to Murphus Chop Shop. What do you got for us, bud? All right. All right, friends and family, we have a this is a new segment on the news, and this we're gonna be looking at combos. We're going to be Ooh. looking at interactions, uh, Mr. Combo's bread and butter. Um, oh, it this is. Week, yeah, and this week we're looking at um, uh, one that's pretty hardcore. Um, we are going to be looking at my favorite end game condition. I can't call it a win condition because it doesn't win the game. Um but there are two cards. They are my first and only tally mark cards in my pet deck. I have a four color deck and I mark these up every time I play a game with them with a silver tally mark. If I end the game with Garuk Relentless and Clever Impersonator. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Garuk Relentless is a double sided planeswalker from Innistrad, OG Innistrad. Uh, with the ability, uh, when Garuk Relentless has two or fewer loyalty counters on him, transform him. And then he has two loyalty abilities, zero. He deals three damage to target creature, and that creature deals damage equal to its power to him, so they fight. Um, or zero, put a 2-2 green wolf token onto the battlefield. The backside is relevant, but not for our conversation. And Clever Impersonator from Kanza Tarkir, 2-U-U. Uh, for a uh, shapeshifter, and when it ETBs, uh, it does so as a copy of any non-land permanent on the battlefield. And this is uh, what's called in the rules a loop of mandatory actions. Okay. A loop of mandatory actions. So um, here's the scenario, and this, this happens a lot in my deck in particular, is I'll have Thrasios or Vile Smasher on the field. Those are my, my partner partner buddies and uh i cast garuk and then i have clever impersonator go on the stack it enters the battlefield as a copy of garuk the legend rule happens state based state based actions check and garuk is destroyed sacrificed um so you're left with an impersonated garuk and then you do its first loyalty ability which it deals three damage to a creature. It deals damage equal to its power back uh, to the impersonator. They fight. Um, so impersonator fights Thrasios. Thrasios dies. It's very sad for everyone. Uh, clever impersonator, clever impersonator impersonating Garuk then has two or fewer loyalty counters on it, which, which triggers the ability that causes it to flip. Uh, but Murphus, I believe there is no backside to Clever friends, Impersonator. Yes, and friends, there is no backside. And uh, what happens is it triggers and it attempts to flip and it can't, so it just doesn't. But because the action has to resolve, because it's based on a state of the card, it will trigger again and again and again and again. And unless it's interrupted by a player action, the game ends in a draw. 
Murphus, that sounds like one hell of a punchline. There it is. And yeah. Because we're fighting. Yep, 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 yep. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, totally. And nobody sees it coming, right? Like, my playgroup sees it coming now. But, like, it's one of those things. I call it my very own Splinter Twin. It's my two-card combo that ends the game. Everybody wins the game. Everybody loses the game. It doesn't matter how you phrase it. But ultimately... This is not a completely uncommon occurrence. So something to look out for is when loops of mandatory actions happen. Um, When they are not interrupted, the game ends in a draw. Uh, And that's, that's just them's the beats. That's how the rules work. So um, what are your thoughts on, on this combo, Mr. Uh, I absolutely love it. That's absurd. I love anything that makes the game come to a draw. That's not just one of those weird magic cards that say the game comes to a draw. Murphus, question. I've done no research. I have no trick up my sleeve. How many of these uh, game-based action in the game combos are there out there? Like, is this a very common occurrence if you look for it? Or was this something that you just happen chance behind throughout your magic life? Hmm. You know, I can't... I can't say off the top of my head that I know how many there are. Um essentially what you're looking for when this happens is a feedback loop based on, um, yeah, based on you're looking for loops that are based on state-based checks. Um, and, uh, how I, how I discovered this was actually watching a stream. I, I, I watch streams during, during the day on my day job sometimes, uh, when I'm, doing admin tasks and stuff. I have a little bit of flexibility in that way. And uh, this is five years ago, four years ago, I was actually watching a Jeff Hoagland stream and he was streaming modern. And it was this just God awful soul tie pile of cards that you shouldn't play in, in magic <laughs> gathering in the modern format. And, um, but it had four Garouk in it and four clever impersonator. I was like, what is this? And the whole game plan of the deck was to win or to force a draw in your bad matchup so that you could move to sideboard. That's hilarious. I absolutely yes. love that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was able to pull it off a few times. Uh, the next time. So I immediately I had both the cards. So I just stuck them in my my baby and went to play and we were actually playing at a, at our LGS. And at that time they were streaming games. Um, I don't think they do anymore. And we were streaming games and uh, some friends who like lived in Colorado were watching us all play and stuff. And when it happened, the um, yeah, the, the table erupted, but the chat erupted and you would have thought that I uh, ran over somebody's mom in my car. <laughs> like people were angry and uh, you know, hashtag judge in chat. You know what I mean? Uh, but uh, yeah, so that's the inspiration for it. It's, it's a two card combo. Um, it's a splinter twin, but it's interesting uh, because it's not, 
I don't know. It's I'm a little bit of a hipster in that it needs to be off the radar if it's a combo. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you know what, Murphis? If anything, the collective is all about a hipster combo. So hopefully we'll see your clever impersonator, Garuk Lentless, Garuk Veilcursed combo one day. And I think this is a perfect time to see what our store has to say. Store? Ooh. Hey there, Collective. Do you need a new playmat? Do you need some sleeves? Have you been forgetting your upkeep triggers? Well, be sure to head over to cmdtower.com slash merch and be able to pick up all the great swag made for you guys. It could be the Mr. Comma Number 5 Reminder Token. It could be the Squee McGee Get Up and Fight coin or heck, even our foil playmat or Jund holiday sweaters. All of it's there. Go check it out. And now we should totally head over to What's the Plane Chase? So this is very exciting. This is Murphy's first opportunity for a very tantalizing segment of deck therapy. Now, of course, we have to bring the collective over to the leather-bound couch, gently lay you down, coddle your cheek, Lay your head to rest, so that way you can be imparted these words of wisdom. And yes, I'll have went very Scottish for a second. I don't know what happened. It just happens from time to time, because we're talking about Lisa! Lisa! You're tearing me apart. You're tearing me apart! Uh, this is absolutely fantastic. Coming from an amazing Patreon. We have here this Lisa deck. And I'm going to read this description, and I got very excited once I actually got this detailed. So, we are, we are talking, and I'm not going to try to take it away from them. The deck is called You're Telling Me Apart, Lisa. And this is coming from Giga Narwald, or Brandon, in our community. And this deck is based around Lisa Shroud of Dusk. So... I'm going to read out the card, and then, Murphis, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you read the description our Patreon sent us, just so we get a little insight into what they're looking for this deck to do. So, Lisa Shroud of Dusk is two colorless, white, white, black, legendary creature angel. It does state that it has flying and lifelink, and whenever a player casts a spell, they lose two life. Now, that does go universal on the table. Here's why Lisa is a very interesting card and why it got permitted, printed in Commander Legends. Rather than pay two colorless for each previous time you've cast a spell from the command zone, you may pay two life instead that many times. So, if Lisa's been cast from the command zone twice, you can just pay four life instead of four colorless. That seems pretty freaking great. Murphis, what do you think about the description of this deck and what Brandon sent over to us? Yeah, so Brandon, thanks for sending in this deck. And again, uh, Collective, you're uh, part, of the, part of the community and part of the Patreon is being able to send in deck submissions for deck therapy. So thanks again, Brandon. Uh, he says, hey guys, this is my Lisa Life Gain Semi-Angel Tribal Deck. It's met the 
it's met with ire at tables I've played recently, and I'd like the crew's input on making it the deck faster, even at the cost of reducing the angel count. Uh, he goes on to say, the goal for Lisa is to gain life, drain my opponent's life, and benefit from the gain based on payoffs. I don't have a dedicated meta aside from the Discord and my LGS. Uh, during therapy, I'd like to focus on slimming the deck down to a lower mana value and creating more consistency that focuses on gain and drain rather than angel tribal. And, you know, he says most of the time uh, it hits on turn four and Lisa gets countered or removed. So I'd like the deck to be able to function with such focus on getting Lisa without such focus on getting Lisa out and into the red zone or by standing by to tax my opponents every time they cast a spell. Budget is relatively open, um, uh, and a lack of a steady playgroup means we can get mean. Uh, (laughs) So thanks for the opportunity, and let me know if there's anything else I can help with. So, uh, I mean, that was pretty open. You know, Murphus, really the way that I looked at this deck is I saw a lot of the... uh, good stuff, life up or down kind of fluctuations. Yeah. But I did see the lack of being mean. I I didn't see a lot of the mean cards in there from a life manipulation piece. So I'm going to be bringing a little bit of that to the deck. But something else that I definitely saw, you know, anytime I see a deck that might want to operate solo, I'm not really caring about what my opponents are doing. I just need to be able to do what I want to do. And I feel like anytime life manipulation comes into play, you're more advantageous not focusing on your opponents. Just establish your board and let whatever they do manipulate their life up or down. So I also kind of had a focus on a point of your opponents are going to start hitting you and they're going to hit you hard. So how can you recover from that? And how can you get back to 40 life so that way you can continue your path? I'm curious, how did you focus on this deck and some of its strengths and shortcomings? Yeah, so as I looked through the list, it's it's a good list. Um, there's one particular card in here that's a three mana cost instant spell that I'm I'm a little a little low on. Uh it's like Muck Duck, except if you replace the CK with an R. And, uh, but aside from murder, I I like a lot of what this deck is doing. Um, uh, I think I think Brandon, you're right on uh, the Angel Tribal theme. Like, there's some there's some big hitters in here, right? Absent Angel of Hope, Bane Slayer Angel, uh, Bruna and Gisela, um, which you know. Ultimate Voltron combo, uh, Brazella, the the nightmare, whatever angel Eldrazi. Um, so, like, there's there's a lot of angels, and there's even some off theme angels like Limbala, Keeper of Silence. Um, but the thing that really uh, got me is that I the deck feels confused. It feels confused about what it's trying to do. What what does the question I always have when I'm approaching deck construction is what does the what does the win condition look like? Not what is it, right? Because, you know, a Crater Hoof Behemoth can be a win condition, but on empty board, it's not. So what does the board need to look like for uh, this deck to be winning the game? Um, so that's kind of the perspective that I took as I was putting cards together for this deck therapy is what does the deck 
what does an end state for this uh, this list look like where it's winning the game? You know what, Murphison? I think that's a great challenge to Brandon because I'll say this, like one of the first decks I ever built was a Angel Elf deck. You know, it was back when Type 2, I think is what the format was called. And it was, oh, these elves, they ramp. Angels, they're big. Boomer elves magic in here. Angels are big. Yeah, there we go. Let's just, they'll, they'll get them out there. And I think that sometimes the appeal of angels is like, whoa, your, your power and toughness and your abilities are so fat. You can just mess someone up. Avacyn, Angel of Hope, eight mana. Everything becomes indestructible. Bruh! But then you kind of forget that you have to pay eight mana for it. And okay. you forget you're an Orzov, which doesn't really ramp. So I feel like that sometimes what people kind of miss over the horizon when it comes to angels specifically is because they are so mana inducive. And if you're not in good colors, it becomes difficult. Yeah, exactly right. And, uh, you know, something else that uh, Brandon uh, mentioned in the description was, you know, it gets to be turn four, turn five. He goes to drop Lisa and uh, it eats a counter spell. Um and analogous to that, right? It's a removal spell, and there's there's some nods to that here with a Malachar Rebirth in the in the deck. Um, but the resiliency of casting eight mana Avacyn is super sweet. Uh, if it eats a Path to Exile or a Swords Plowshares, you're going to have a bad day. Right. Like it's really hard to come back from a tempo disadvantage where you're off six mana, five mana in an exchange. And so um, uh, the other piece that I was thinking about was honoring that desire to bring the average CMC down. Right. Or the average mana value and the mana value without lands for this deck uh, is three point three. But the total list comes to a two point one average. Um, 3.3 honestly feels a little high to me, especially for a uh, color identity that isn't good at ramping. Um, and so, um, so for the most part, my recommendations were also, also had that in mind. Um, and you'll see why I say most of them. Well, there we go. Well, let's get into the meat and the potatoes of it. With the cards that the staff feels like you need to get in there, ASAP. So I'm going to start this one off with, I, I kind of did mine into three different segments. I, I, I wanted, Brandon, you to feel that each one of these was really focusing on an area of strength or weakness in the deck. So my ASAP section... When I'm in Orzov, we're not a mana-hungry mana base, not by any stretch of the imagination. But we are in a mana base that goes longer. We are longer in the tooth when it comes to Orzov. So it's not ridiculous for you to be at turn 11, turn 12, or 13. So you need the baby mama of X mana spells in Exsanguinate... Debt to the Deathless, and Torment of Hailfire. You need all three of these in here ASAP because they all do a thing that your deck wants to do. Torment to Hailfire. Repeat the following process X times. Each opponent loses three life unless that 
uh, player sacrifices a non-land permanent or discards a card. Death of the Deathless, each opponent loses two times X life. You gain life equal to the life lost this way. Exsanguinate, each opponent loses X life. You gain life equal to the life lost this way. All of them had to do with your opponent's losing life. And two-thirds of the time, you actually ended up gaining life back. You really need this in an Orzov life manipulation type deck. Not because they're win hard cards. Like, I'm not recommending you put an infinite mana sink in the deck. Not at all. But very frequently, people kind of forget. You get a Torment to Hellfire for seven. Five is X. Black, black. And it's going to do work. It's maybe even wins you the game. These cards can win you and close out the game without you having infinite mana for X. So even if you do it for X equals one or X equals 10, it's going to make a very large impact to the game and push you closer to the win circle. Yeah, I, I like those. Uh, I like that thought. The question, you know, the question of the end state, right? Like, this is one possible end game for an Orzov deck that's looking to go long. And that's what a life game strategy is going to do, right? Like, outside of, uh, you know, infinite combos and interacting on the stack, like, gaining life is going to effectively fog attacks and push you into the late game and the very, very, very late game. And so having mana sinks like that is huge. I, I went with the with the exact same thought in a very different direction and this is why it's so great to collaborate on these i asked the question how does the game end and as i was looking at this list um a couple cards that i saw were suture priest um which uh reads whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control you gain a life whenever a creature enters the battlefield under an opponent's control you may have that player lose a life uh, uh, soul sisters attendant and warden specifically um, but then I saw Gary Grey Merchant of Ashfidel 2-4 zombie when ETBs each opponent loses X life or X is your devotion to black and you gain life equal to the life lost this way um, Gary is a notorious win condition like uh, S what Gary no never no. Um, and so I was looking at uh that uh with that um lens at the end state of the game uh and something i noticed that was lacking from this list was uh sack outlets um so the first card that i want to recommend is phyrexian altar because you said uh that budget was no object uh and phyrexian altar um is coming in at a cool 88 dollars right now which is bananas what no way yeah you're yeah, lying uh, yeah no the ultimate masters printing is 88 dollars. the invasion printing's 95 dollars average what? yeah uh sell them now folks uh <laughs> oh while, my god while the stocks are high because <laughs> we got some reprint sets coming in the next year so um but phyrexian oh. alters a three mana cost artifact so it doesn't it doesn't hurt your mana base at all and it reads sacrifice a creature to add one mana of any color to your mana pool um, this is a pretty innocuous but powerful effect. Yes. Right? And the ability to have a free sacrifice outlet that actually nets you mana 
puts you in a position where losing creatures, which in my estimation is one of the best ways to win the game, uh, actually puts you in a position to move ahead. Um, and Murphys, to add on further, it's colored mana. A lot of times yep. it's colorless mana, which makes the mana sink a little bit more difficult to do. The fact that you're getting a black or a blue or a whatever, oh my goodness, so much more powerful. It's it's so much more powerful. I thought about Ashnod's Altar, which is the same mana cost, same uh, ability cost, sacrifice a creature to add two colorless. Two mana is more than one. Uh, we all know that that's true because of how math works. And... Uh, but colored mana in a, in a color combination that is going to struggle, um, to fix, especially this deck has a whopping 29 basic lands in it. So I don't want to be generating excess colorless mana unless I absolutely have to. Um, so that was the first card. Uh, the second card is Cruel Celebrant. <gasps> Ooh. Uh, yeah, Cruel Celebrant is a white and a black for a 1-2 vampire, and it came out in War of the Spark. And whenever Cruel Celebrant or another creature or planeswalker you control dies, each opponent loses a life and you gain a life. Uh, this is Death by a Thousand Paper Cuts, and the combination of Phyrexian Arena and Cruel Celebrant, or uh, this list also has Blood Artist, um, these kind of effects are end game effects. And in a deck where you want to win by taxing, um, which is what you alluded to, Brandon, this is, this is an S tier card to add to the list. Uh, and the next one is like it. It is Zulaport cutthroat. Mm. Zulaport cutthroat, uh, is cruel celebrant. It's, it's, it is Cruel Celebrant and Blood Artist number three. So what it's doing is rewarding you for sacrificing creatures and punishing your opponents when creatures die. Um, and with cards that trigger, uh, that key off ETBs, um, and that care about gaining life, uh, I, like, I like the ability to turn our board state with cards like Crested Sunmare generating tokens, um, Bishop of Wings generating tokens um, to, yeah, to turn those into, convert those into really a, a ludicrous amount of damage. Um, so that's kind of how I went with ASAP. And I actually have a, a cheeky fourth one for this, and it is Arcane Signet. Please put an Arcane Signet in your deck. <laughs> You're please, so cheeky. Please, please, please do that. Well, let's get to the... You should probably get this in soon, like, I don't know, the next three to six months, somewhere in there. Um, I really wanted to focus on this piece of your deck. You know, your life total is really going to be dropping and plummeting and getting very, very minute because that's just what happens. Your commander inherently pisses people off because you know what it does it avoids command tax even though you have to pay two life for each command tax you avoid it still avoids command tax people don't like that they don't like people being cheaters aka wikipedia see tom brady 
So where I wanted to focus on is how to get your life total back to 40 or close to 40. And we're going to do that through a few different cards. The first couple are Exquisite Archangel and Resolute Archangel. They both cost five colorless white, white. They're both creature angels. Uh, Resolutes are rare. Exquisites are mythic. They both have flying obs. Uh, Exquisites are five, five. Resolutes are four, four. And Exquisite says, if you would lose the game, instead exile Exquisite Archangel and your life total becomes the equal to your starting life total. So 40. That's pretty neat. Then Resolute says, when it ETBs, if your life total is less than your starting life total, it becomes your starting life total, a.k.a. 40. And then the final card is Tainted Sigil, which is a colorless Orzov, white and black artifact. Tap, sacrifice it. You gain life equal to the total life lost by all players this turn. So I do think eventually you need to get pieces in the deck on how you can get your life total back from one. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little Brian McKnight for you. Uh, you got to get it back to 40. Yeah, or get as close to 40 as often as you can. Because when you're doing life manipulation, nothing becomes more panic attack inducing than seeing your life total drop quicker than your opponents. And knowing in your head, the only way that's going to level out is that if you get pieces out on the board, that makes their life totals go quicker. That's not a recipe for success. You need to get, be able to, hey, you know what? I'm going quicker down than you guys. Play this card. I'm now back at 40, and you guys are still at 23. Now I'm level set. We can continue on. Yeah, and I, I think that this is really good. As we're talking about end state of games, right? One of the things you want to do is create an asymmetrical board state. Ooh, I like, like that. Yeah, and and that's that's magic, right? I want to be at forty. You want to? I want you to be at zero. But being able to reverse, um, reverse and redistribute effectively redistribute life totals is going to be really important to surviving through the mid game for a deck like this because ultimately taxing all the tax effects in here are going to make you a target, and that's just the reality of it. Nobody likes yes, to note on their life pad that many times if we're really honest. So. Yeah, nothing's going to put someone on tilt that hates writing more than constantly having to write their life total up and down. They're just like, I'll just kill you instead. You'll die. I don't have to do it again. You're done. So at least these three cards can make it a little bit more difficult for your opponents to kill you. But Murphus, I'm curious, what was your like in the near future kind of far away vision that this deck should kind of go down? Yeah, so... As I was thinking about this, I was thinking of uh, I was thinking of payoffs. Okay. Um, and again, Gary, Gary's in the list, and when Gary's in the list, Gary becomes one of the most important parts of the list. That's that's just how Gary is. He's a he's a little bit of an attention hog. Um, so there were a a, a couple cards on here that. Uh, I specifically included because of the power of recurring, recurring our creatures. Um, and the first one is an, an ancient card all the way back from Urza's saga. It is lifeline. Okay. 
Lifeline is a five mana cost artifact that says whenever a creature dies, this is this isn't what the card says. This is the actual rules text now, thanks to like errata and things. Whenever a creature dies, if another creature is on the battlefield, return the first card, the creature that died, to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So if a creature you control dies, a delay trigger goes on the stack. And at the end step, as long as there's a creature on the battlefield, it'll that it'll come back. Um, and so this is a great way to <laughs> this. It's clunky at five mana um, and a little clunky for your wallet at 35 bucks. But uh, the idea of being able to passively recur your creatures over time is going to, again, help you survive the mid game and really take advantage of your payoffs. Um, and in the same way, uh, Athreos God of Passage is one I included. Uh, indestructible and legendary enchantment creature God, 1B dub. Uh, as long as your devotion to white and black is less than seven, it isn't a real boy. And whenever another creature you own dies, return it to your hand unless target opponent pays three life. So this is playing with that taxing their life total theme, but it's also recurring your threats, which is such a powerful way to move into the end game. Uh, because eventually, if your deck is playing out the right way, Brandon, what is going to happen is people's life totals are going to be so low that they have to give you the creatures. Yep. Um, Hands down. Yep. And fun fact, if somebody's life total is at two and you target them with Athreos, they are not... Like the rules will not allow them to pay life and kill themselves. Like, Which just makes you the meanest boy on the block, but I love it. Yeah. It, it talk about mean, like being able to put the vice on somebody and say like, I guess I'm getting all of my creatures back in perpetuity. That, that just sounds really, really good. Um, and this is, uh, this is the final payoff that I wanted to talk about uh, in this section and that is Bolas's Citadel. Oh. Three BBB legendary artifact. You may look at the top card of your library at any time, and you may play the top card of your library. If you cast a spell this way, pay life equal to its mana cost rather than paying its mana cost. Um, and then uh, flavor text, tap, sacrifice, 10 non-land permanents. Each opponent loses 10 life. Um, I... As I was looking at the list, it's hard for me to imagine that there are many games where your life total will be hovering less than 60 or 70. You know what I mean? Like your your life total is going to be bolstered. You're at least going to be above 40 enough of the time that you have the uh, margin to use your life as a resource. And uh, this, this card can help an Orzhov deck catch up on mana advantage that it's lost in the early to mid game by not being good at ramping, right? I only have six lands and a couple mana rocks out. If I drop a Bolus of Citadel, the playing field is tilted immediately in my favor. It'll make you it'll make you enemy number one. Oh yeah. But like if we're really honest, that's probably okay. If you have a Bolus of Citadel in play and it is unopposed, this is in my mind, this is nearly an end game card, especially if you have some other way to manipulate the top of your library, like a sensei's divining top. Um, so, uh, Bolas Citadel is my third entry for. You should consider the, getting this in there soonish. I like it. 
Well, the last section we're going to go to is the, you know, eventually you should probably get this in here. I don't know. Maybe this is meta dependent. Maybe this is budget dependent. It's really dependent on you and the uh, amount of stock you put into our advice. So when I lay Brandon's head down on the leather couch and I think of what are the pipe dream improvements to the deck? I will tell you, nothing is more frustrating in a life manipulation deck than other life gain decks. So, you gotta, depending on your meta and the people that you play with, you should probably consider these three cards. Soar and Markov, three colorless, black, 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 it's a planeswalker, Mainly because it has three effects, but the middle one states negative three loyalty, target opponent's life total becomes 10. That's pretty powerful. The other one is Erebos, God of the Dead. Three colorless black, legendary enchantment creature, god, indestructible. Important part on the card, your opponents can't gain life. Lastly, Tainted Remedy, enchantment, two colorless black, if an opponent would gain life, that player loses that much life instead. So you can kind of see on all three cards, it's either I'm preventing my opponents to gain life, well, they're going to try to do it, but then I'm going to punish them anyways, or get as big as you want, feel as high up in your high castle as you can, but I'm going to chop your knees out and you're going to come down to the peasants as quickly as possible. But all three really do help. I think what this deck can't handle. I don't think this deck can handle an Aloro deck. I just don't. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think, I think the way it's configured right now, it's going to struggle to go over the top. It can't get bigger than other, um, than other life gain decks, which kind of, given some of the cards I'm seeing in the list are probably going to be more common at this kind of pod in this kind of pod than they would be in some other uh, variable power levels. So figuring out a way to go bigger or prevent them from going big is going to be huge. Yeah. And one thing that we never do in deck therapy is we never tell you what to cut. That's, that's on you. You know, your meta better than Murphys and I do, you know, your play group better than we do. So, this might be a thing of, hey, I'm going to take these recommendations, maybe cut out my top 10 high CMC cards just to get the deck more speedy. Maybe that's the play. Um, we don't really know, but I definitely think if you don't have a set meta like you described, at least the package that I've provided kind of gives you this blanketed swath of strategy. This should be able to help cover deficiencies at any table while making you versatile enough to be able to have an impactful game. Yeah, I, is, I, I'm curious, though, what did you have? Like, I, I kind of was all over the place. Yeah, I, I like your picks a lot. And I like that idea of of, yeah, just being able to actually overcome the end states that you need to be able to, right? Um, I was on the horizon. I got a little cute. Um, I decided to get cute, uh, and think about again, um, Brandon, a little bit of what you talked about in that description of taxing, of draining, 
and then uh, using that drain to uh, create ef effects that are really powerful. Um, and the first card that came to mind for me is one of my favorite cards ever printed. And it's Obsidot Ghost Council. Oh my goodness. Obsidot Ghost Council is five CMC, one white, white, black, black. So that mana cost ain't easy for a five, five spirit advisor. When it ETBs, target opponent loses two life and you gain two life. It's pretty good. And at the beginning of your eggs and step, you may exile Obsidot. If you do return to the battlefield or its owner's control at the beginning of the next upkeep, your next upkeep, and it gains haste. So it recurs itself, blinks itself in and out of play. It's immune to sorcery speed removal, which is great. Most of this deck is not, right? Like if you if you eat a board wipe, you are so far behind. Um, yep. And Obsidot gives you an out for that. Uh, Obsidot was the cornerstone of my favorite modern deck I've ever piloted. It oh, was a Boyo's Vengeance Obsidot list, and it was it was magnifique. Very um, cool. Chef's kiss. Yeah. Mwah. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Um, but the thing I like about this uh, is it actually pairs with the next card on the horizon, which is Panharmonicon. Oh, my goodness. You have so many permanents that are keying off when something enters the battlefield. And there are some other cards that you could add to. Um, amplify the impact of a card like Panharmonicon, but you're not that far off. Um, and so doubling things like Grey Merchant of Asphodel, Obsidot the Ghost Council, or even like Soul's Attendant, Soul Warden, what have you, like those, doubling up on those abilities is a great way, again, to, to bridge the differential in ramp by amplifying the impact of individual cards. Um, if every card you play counts for two slots where it would normally count for one, that is a kind of virtual card advantage that we can't really, um, can't really overlook. Um, so, uh, and the last card is a pet card of mine from Ravnica Allegiance Limited. Um, and it is Revival Revenge. It is a split card from Ravnica Allegiance, which means there are two cards printed on the front uh, of the cardboard there. Uh, Revival is a hybrid Orzhov, hybrid Orzhov, so two mana total sorcery that says return target creature with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So it's a pretty flexible um, uh, uh, zombify effect for a deck like this. Uh, but what I love about it is that the revenge side is a way to go over the top. So revenge is a six mana sorcery and it says double your life total target opponent loses half their life rounded up. So it's doing a little bit of the work that we talked about earlier with things like exsanguinate, uh, even uh, Mr. Combo, what you were just talking about, being able to go over the top and prevent other people from getting bigger than you. Uh, this this is a catch-up card. It's a catch-up card that's not dead in the early game or when you're really trying to max out on creatures. And that's that's why I like it. The flexibility of it does a lot. No, oh, that's, re that's really, really cool. Um, I, I think there's a lot of stuff you can really do with this, Brandon. There's a lot of directions that you can do. 
I definitely think if you take some of what Murphys and I have talked about today, it's going to make it more consistent at the playgroups that you're at because you're not in a particular meta. You are in a more wide breath, random meta, which is great. I mean, honestly, if you can build a commander deck that can sit down at any table and accomplish what it can do, like chef's kiss, you're doing yep. fantastic. You're doing better than a lot of us. So yep. take a little bit of this. It'll help fill in those gaps or plugs. And maybe you will be America's next top chef. Oh, sorry. That was my other day job. <coughs> <laughs> well, with that, guys, let's head over to another commercial from our amazing sponsors. Who would that be? Oh, wait, it's CMD Tower. Do you like CMD Tower content? Do you wish you could have more of it? Well, you should head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash CMD Tower. That's where we really lean on the community for help and running our channel, but also giving back to you as well. So for just literally a buck a month, you can join and get tons of soft value, opportunities to be on the show, interact with the collective in our very lively chat, and then for even just five, 15 or 25 bucks, you're going to get swag. You're going to get RK post tokens. Really, it's one of the best values out there. Patreon.com slash CMD tower. And to head over to one of the last segments, Mr. Combo is about to try to tackle the helicopter. That is the weather window. Well, ladies and germs, I have taken over the Weatherlight Report. Yes, I am Hans Ericsson. Is that the guy that's the bad guy in Die Hard? Hans, Hans Ericsson. Hans, 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 ah, Hans I was close. I believe was the Viking guy who came to the New World, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Well, I'm some Hans who's maybe a good guy, maybe a bad guy, but I'm here taking over the Weatherlight Report. And what I really thought would be fun today, I'm channeling a little bit of my Sir Nathan with this Esper legend, Dromar the Banisher. We're talking three colorless Esper, white, blue, black, creature dragon legend. Whenever Dromar the Banisher deals combat damage to a player, you may pay two colorless blue. If you do choose a color, then return all creatures of that color to their owner's hands, and it's a 6-6. And it comes at a whopping... Guys, hold the phone. The original printing's $4, but the list, the list is going to save you so much money at... $2.28. So it's gonna is it will save you a whopping $172. I'm just saying that is value you cannot put on paper. Hashtag value. Dromar the banisher, though. Uh you look at it and it's like, okay, you're rifting, but only creatures and only creatures of a particular color. And you, sir, on your face are 60% of the color pie. Because if you say white, you bounce yourself. Blue, you bounce yourself, and black, you bounce yourself. So you're not very good. And guys, you are right. He usually isn't very good, but we got some cards here that are that's really going to help us. So we got this broken down into a few different categories. The first one is ways to repetitively 
do Dromar's ability without Dromar. And I think Lon Lawan Cephloid Empress is a great one. Three colorless blue, creature Cephloid Legend. Whenever Lawan comes into play, return all blue creatures your opponents control to their owner's hands. But here's a very important part. Your opponents can't play blue creature spells. So on its surface, it's only going to hit 20 or what is that? Yeah, 20% of the color pie from a bounce effect on its own. But I think in combination with Dromar, it's going to be able to put other things back and then prevent your opponents from playing them, which I think we can all agree blue creatures and blue the color in general is about one of the most powerful colors in all of magic. Now, the next shifting of cards that I wanted to talk about, it's going to be about how do we make the board advantageous for Dromar. And the only way to do that is to influence the color of the cards on the board. So Shifting Sky is going to get that done. Two colorless blue enchantment, when it comes into play, choose a color. All non-land permanents are the chosen color. The card's 20 cents. And Darkest Hour, one black enchantment. All creatures are black. Well, that's pretty good. Then, of course, the infamous, oh, it's unbanned, Painter Servant. Uh, two colorless <laughs> artifact creature, Scarecrow. As it comes into play, choose a color. All cards that aren't in play, spells and permanents are the chosen color in addition to their other colors. All three of those cards are going to make it to where Dromar is going to be able to bounce whatever they want. Yeah, especially like the Painter's Servant pick here because it, it can turn everything green. Now, I guess that I guess it ultimately doesn't matter, right? Because Dromar will still end up bouncing itself. But uh, being able to clear the board completely is so huge. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I definitely think with Dromar, it, it's one of those things to where, like, if you do an, uh, an Armageddon or a uh, Wrath of God, and, like, you're going to lose permanence as well, as long as your opponents are being more impacted than you are, you don't really care. Right, right. Now, the next section we're going to go to, Murph, though, does give us a little bit of incentive to bounce our other opponent's stuff as more efficiently as we can. So Duelist's Heritage is great for a Dromar deck. Two colorless white enchantment. Whenever one or more creatures attack, you may have target attacking creature gain double strike until end of turn. So guys, if you need to bounce blue, but you also need to bounce red, you can hit first, choose red. It's going to bounce all the red stuff. You hit again. You choose blue. Dromar goes back. And now you bounce all those Thopter tokens and whatever else is out there. Uh, great way to do it. And it's an amazing political card. Because on your opponent's combat, you can choose to give their creatures a double strike if they do your bidding. Now, the more important thing that I thought was fun. And Murph, I'm a monster. It's okay. How can we influence more of the board? Well, I would love to bounce my opponent's lands as well. And so Cormus Bell allows me to do that. Four colorless artifact, all swamps are one-one creatures that are still lands. Well, if you had this out and you had out to where all creatures are black and all creatures are whatever, 
you're bouncing all of the lands on the battlefield to your opponent's hands. And I absolutely love it. Hmm. That is that is one rude thing to do. Oh no. Oh Come no. On. It's not that mean. That in what in what world, Mr. Combo? In what world is that? Well, we we it, it's not as mean because this next card is just really, you know, hey, if you block Dromar, you're going to get punished. So Pretender's Claim is an auto-include in this deck. Colorless Black, Enchantment Aura. Whenever Enchanted Creature becomes blocked, tap all lands defending player controls. Hey, if you're worried about what Dromar is going to like bounce and what I'm going to do afterwards, well, you better block it, right? Well, if you block it, all your lands are tapped, so you can't do anything anyways. <laughs> this my is my favorite life. kind of card. This is my favorite kind of card because it's the kind of card that I absolutely have to look up every time that anybody talks about it because this is a million and a half years old and in no decks. Yep. Well, the last section we're going to end at is how we really on the spot influence what Dromar can bounce. And there's some pretty cool cards, some that I had heard of, some that I had no idea existed. And we talked about how Dromar is three colors, right? 60% of the color pie. Well, what if you could even make him one of the colors you didn't want to bounce? So Distorting Lens is an amazing auto-include. Two colorless artifact tap. Target permanent becomes the color of your choice until end of turn. You also have blind seer. Two colorless blue blue. Colorless blue. Target spell or permanent becomes the color of your choice until end of turn. And then scuttlemutt. Three colorless artifact creature scarecrow. It does. It is a mana rock, so you can't tap it for a mana. But more importantly, target creature becomes the color or colors of your choice until end of turn. So all three of these cards can either screw your opponents into making them bounce a creature they didn't want to bounce or protecting Dromar so you don't actually bounce him with the colors that you're picking on the table. I like these picks a lot. The ability to change around your colors to make the effect completely asymmetrical is exactly where I want to be with a card like Dromar uh, that's already inefficient on its face in terms of like modern design. Um, so being able to, yeah, turn turn that around to an advantage, I'm, I'm here for it. Well, that's great. And hopefully we'll see some of you, the collective out there with your Dromar decks, and these amazing Weatherlight Report picks. And guys, thanks for staying with us. And as always, remember to support your team by retweeting, subscribing, following, liking, sharing. And you can always stay in touch with your MTG Action 4 News team by following us on Twitter, Facebook, Discord, and our website, cmdtower.com. You can communicate directly with your team at cmdtower, at Mr. Five, all spelled out except for the five, at Murphus Alvi MTG, and at T-Coats. For your MTG Action 4 News team, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.